Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. If there was anybody that had trouble, physical trouble, in their Christian life, it was Paul, the Apostle. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, let's start reading at verse number 23. Under Holy Spirit's inspiration, it is written, Are they ministers of Christ? I, that Paul speak as a fool, I am more, in labors more abundant. You think you labor for the Lord? (laughs) Paul, more abundant. Uh, In stripes above measure. You and I get upset if somebody flashes the one finger peace sign to us. You picking up what God's putting down? I'm telling you, in stripes above measure. He was hurt physically. In prisons more frequent. We get all nervous and start, you know, sweating profusely when the cops come. Um, if we're out in, in a public arena and we have the right to be there, we're not breaking any laws. We're not doing anything wrong. We're simply exercising our right to be out there but somebody doesn't like the message and we start getting nervous, but we never went to jail. (laughs) We never got arrested in deaths. My life has never been in danger from personally witnessing for the Lord Jesus Christ. Of the Jews five times received I 40 stripes, save one. Now my wife might go after me every now and then, but (laughs) We might go after the kids every now and then, right? You might go after, look, I'm saying that sarcastically to make the point. No one has come after you and beaten you for the cause of Christ. Nobody. We've got it easy. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeyings, often in pearls of water, and pearls of robbers, and pearls by my own countrymen, and pearls by the heathen, and pearls in the city, pearls in the wilderness, and pearls in the sea, and pearls among false brethren. Anywhere he went, he found himself in peril. In weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, and fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides those things that are without, That which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the church. Now, on one hand, you can say if there's anybody that had a dark cloud that followed him around, it was Paul. And it wasn't just from without. He's caring for the churches. He's caring for the brothers and sisters in Christ. Yet he went through all of that. If there was anybody that could bring before God the question, God, where are you? Don't you love me? Don't you think it would have been Paul? If there would have been anybody that had the right to ask that question, but Paul knew it was the wrong question to even think, let alone ask. Because Paul had a hold of something I'd like us to get a hold of today. Paul was not looking for an excuse to disprove God's love for him in the midst of all his peril. And that can easily happen if you and I only look to our personal 
experiences that happen down here on earth and not look to the call and not look to the cross of Christ and have him on our mind. The cross is the proof of God's love and his word as well. Keep in mind, the father's love didn't stop when Christ was on that tree. Christ is suffering. He's being beaten. He's bleeding out. He's being mocked. What do you think? The father's love stopped when he was going through all that? No. It was magnified. Through all that he went through, his love was magnified for us. And God the father never stopped loving God the son when he went through all that he went through. Now let's go to Romans 8 because it's an honor. I know we don't want to think about this. And believe me, I love the good reports. I love the good report from Charles. I love the good report from Eric. I love to give Charles and Eric a good report on our outreaches last night. I love that. I love it. But I want to talk to you this morning that it is an honor to suffer for the cause of Christ. Don't sign up for it. Don't you cause it. Don't you look for trouble. But if it comes your way, count it an honor to suffer for your Savior. Romans chapter 8, watch what it says in uh, verse number 17. We already preached on this. So I just want to bring this verse by way of remembrance. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs of Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Have you ever thought about the sufferings that you may have to go through for the cause of Christ? If you didn't live in comfortable American Christianity with liberty and freedom to do what we do. That's a blessing from God. That we don't have authorities coming in and shutting down what we're doing. It's a blessing from God. You think God's not blessing those that are, that that is happening to? Oh, he is. And they are counting it an honor to suffer for him. I'll be honest with you. I don't want that to happen to us. You don't want that to happen to us. I want to marvel in the glory of the freedom and liberty that God has given us here in America. I do. Go to Acts chapter number five, if you will. Acts chapter number five, verse number 40. Acts chapter five, verse number 40. They're out preaching and witnessing to him. They agreed when they had called the apostles, called them in. Here's what they did. And beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. In the book of Acts, you had Christians proclaiming the name of Christ. And they were beaten and told to shut their mouth.
if that were to happen to us tomorrow, how many of you would be here on Thursday? If that were to happen to us this weekend, how many of you would be out in the streets next week? Oh, we did something wrong. We didn't do anything wrong. Oh, they told us to stop talking about Jesus. Let's find out how they handled it in the book of Acts, chapter number five. Verse number 41, and they departed from the presence of the council. That's probably a good thing. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. I'm not talking about causing trouble to people. I'm not talking about being rude, using hate speech. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm not talking about getting off on rabbit trails and just blowing the, blowing the whole thing up because of personal failure and the inability to be able to relate to people. I'm not talking about any of that. If that happens, that's wrong. It needs to be repented of and you need to get right. And, 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 and I'm talking about they rejoiced and they counted it a blessing to suffer for their Savior. Amen, amen, and amen. Sadly, most American Christians throughout this country will find another church house to meet at if the air conditioning goes on. I'm not kidding. Well, you shouldn't be doing this. I like what D.L. Moody said. I think he's the one that said it. Well, me not doing it. I'd rather at least do it the way you don't think I should be doing it than not doing it at all. At least, at least, at least somebody's doing it. And just get better from there. But they rejoiced and they counted it. They suffered for his name's sake. And watch what else happens. Verse 42. They didn't cower. It says, and daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you on the authority of God's word. Young people, don't you ever hush your mouth for Jesus Christ. I don't care if you've been saved 10 years or 50 years. Don't you ever let this world hush your mouth for Jesus Christ. You claim his name. You name his name. You teach his name. You preach his name. That's the name where every knee will bow. And our message is please bow now because you will not want to bow later. You name his name. If somebody wants to hold up a sign that says go team or go political candidate. I'm holding up a sign that says go Jesus. And that's the way it's going to be until praise. Until the Lord stops helping. And I'm banking on he's not going to stop helping me. Is he going to stop helping you? What are you ashamed about? What are you scared about? What are you cowering about? What are you apprehensive about? What are you nervous about? You nervous you might get brought before the council? Come on. The name of Jesus Christ must be named. We do it in comfortable America. We support missionaries that do it in uncomfortable Africa. Or as one of my missionary friends says, I'm going over to Africa where there's no crazies. 
<laughs> the crazies are here. <laughs> I'm going in the jungle where people are normal. Oh, there's some truth to that. There's some truth to that. They continue to do it. All right, go back to Romans 8, verse 35. And I want to bring out another truth here that we saw. We saw one truth in Sunday school. The Bible says in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The answer is nothing. We went through that this morning. But I want to talk to you about how separation leads to no separation. And we'll see that in Romans 7, verse number 4. This verse is a key verse in this discussion. Look at verse number 4 in Romans chapter number 7. We already preached on it. I'm going to use it as a way to launch into Romans 8. It says, Wherefore, my brethren, ye are also, uh, also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another. Everything from Romans 1 leads up to Romans 7, 4. And there's separation. You're going to be married to another. There's separation. And then everything from Romans 7, 4, all the way down to the end of Romans 8, follows this thought of there's both separation and no separation. So what do you mean by that? Well, we're going to try to get to me. And the thought, first thought is this marriage is used in Romans 7, 4. You have to understand marriage is both separation and also no separation. You don't have an intimate union of two becoming one until marriage. There is a separation. My wife and I did not come together. We were separate. Romans 7, 4, the marriage happens. Now we are no longer separate. You understand that? The man leaves his father and mother. There's a separation that occurs there. Husband and wife aren't married yet. They're completely and totally separate. And they're two individuals. There's separation. They come together. That marriage union is a two becoming one union. And then from that point on, Romans 7, 4. From that point on, marriage. Now it follows the fact of no separation. But you have to understand, marriage is both separation and then no separation all at the same time. Before, there was separation. Now there's the union. It follows, now no separation. You know what you're supposed to be separate from? The world. Living for the devil. You know what you were living for before you got saved? The world and the devil. You separated from that. The moment you came into a union with Jesus Christ. Your life in Christ is a step of separation into a state of no separation. That's how Romans 8 concludes this glorious thought. You and I are in a state of absolute no separation from Jesus Christ ever. You say, my daddy left me, Christ left me. My mama left me, Christ left me. My husband left me, Christ left me. My wife left me, Christ left me. My kids left me, Christ left me. 
My boss fired me. Christ won't. He won't. You are in a state of no separation. It can't happen. And too many Christians live under the control when it says in Romans 8, there's tribulation, there's distress, there's persecution, there's famine, there's nakedness, there's pearl, there's sword. Too many Christians live under the annoyances of that, the irritations of that, and they allow that to control their mind. Misunderstandings build up over time. Stress starts to build up, and they live under that cloud of stress, realize, not realizing you stepped into a state of no separation. And, and Christ is not going to leave you because all that stuff's going on in your life. Don't allow those things to control you. So God gives us some spiritual draino at the end of Romans 8 to help get, the get, get all the clogs out of the pipes of our thinking. And I'm telling you, Paul, the deeper he went into human distress, the more brighter God's goodness and his righteousness shined in his life. I'm telling you, no man-made religion can supply that. Are you a true Christian? You'll be refined through adversity. You won't quit. You will not be destroyed. Second Corinthians 4. Second Corinthians chapter number 4. Bible says in verse number six, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We got that. Praise the Lord. Verse 8, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. There's some purpose in why you're suffering and why I'm suffering. There's some purpose to it. Not for your salvation, but I'll tell you, others will see your example. And it will show them that you're not controlled by your external circumstances, but by God. Only God can do it. Only God can provide that. And I need you to get an Old Testament Psalm 44. And Romans 8 as well. In Romans chapter number 8. Verse number 36. And in Psalms chapter number 44. In Romans 8 verse number 36. The Bible says as it is written. For thy sake. We are killed all the day long. 
We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. If there's one verse in the book, in chapter 8, that people would want taken out or revised out of the Bible, it would be that verse. We don't like that. But God has it right there for a purpose. Look at Psalms 44, and we'll develop this thought. Look at verse number 9. Let's talk about the nation of Israel. Jews. That's not you. That's not us. But watch what it says in verse number 9. But thou hast cast off and put us to shame, and goest not forth with our armies. The nation is getting beat. Do you know when the nation of Israel disobeyed God, one of the consequences was they would go into captivity, they would lose battles. All of these things would happen because they didn't obey God. And you know what God's doing here? God is casting them off. Watch what it says. Thou makest us to turn back from the enemy, verse 10. And they which hate us spoil for themselves. Thou hast given us like sheep appointed for meat. And hast scattered us among the heathen. This nation is in captivity. God has cast them off. And they see themselves as sheep being slaughtered. Let me ask you a question. If you're a Jew in the book of Acts, would you have some apprehensions about God casting you off? I think you would. You have to understand the nation had some earthly, physical promises and blessings that were guaranteed to them by God on the condition that, well, not their land, right? God's going to promise that. But their commandments given governed their nation. And God blessed them as they obeyed. When they didn't obey, there was some casting off. There was some judgment. There was some captivity. There was some sickness. All of it. That is not the case for you and I as New Testament believers. Someone tries to tell you where you're sick because you were disobeying God. Well, you're, 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 you're in trouble because you're disobeying God. It's, a, it's not. It's not. Romans 8 tells us trouble's going to come. But you can see how a, a, if a Jew would read Romans 8, 36 and say, for they sake that we are killed all the day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Man, that'll hit that'll home. You know? I mean, they said that back in Psalms, the psalmist wrote. You got to understand when Solomon built his, when, when the temple was dedicated to God, Solomon the king, the priests, and the people sacrificed, it was either 1,200 or 2,200 sheep, livestock. And then there was a portion of those sheep that were sacrificed. There's a bunch of oxen as well, but those sheep that were sacrificed. The leftover portions, it fed those people, Solomon, the priest, and the people, for two weeks.
slaughtered. It's livestock. Some of you run farms or have ran farms or buy food from local farms. You know, look, we're hungry. We just killed it. We just killed a sheep. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Christian, this world looks at you like a piece of livestock. If you think for a minute they look at you any different, allow me to provide the wake-up call. They don't. You are a sheep and you are accounted for the slaughter. This world does not care about you. They don't care about your church. They don't care about your family. This world hates God and they hate you. And the more we get a hold of Romans chapter 8, for as it is written, I say, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Persecution hits. Because this world looks at you and I as like farm livestock. It's no big deal. In the Roman Colosseum, 3,000 Christians were martyred because of Rome. It established who the true Christians were because all they had to do to live was recant. That's all they had to do. But let me give you another thought. God didn't stop it. And if you think because you've got some stress or some persecution or some tribulation or some peril in your life, and you think God's going to stop it, don't count on it. I want him to. If you're in trouble, I'm going to pray that God's will is that you get out of trouble. You go out and witness, I'm going to pray that no persecution comes to you. But if it comes to you, you have to know, this world counts you as a sheep to slaughter. God didn't stop it. Have you read Fox's Book of Martyrs? God didn't stop it. Have you read Martyr's Mirror? They burned and clamped their tongues on the way to the stake when they were going to get burned. They wouldn't say the name of Christ. You know God didn't stop it. He didn't stop it. And this war counts you as livestock. They don't care about you. They don't. We need to stop thinking like they do. Christ cares about you. His church cares about you. I care about you. You care about me. We care about each other. This world does. You want to have a good witness with somebody? You give them the perspective of what this world offers them and looks at how that how this world looks at them. How Christ looks at them. You don't give them that contrast and that perspective. They think they're on the winning side. They're not. You better show them how much God loves them and how much the world hates them. Many American Christians, they never face uncomfortable situations. The danger with that is that life can easily be filled with apathy. People's feathers are never ruffled. With a true passion for Christ. I'm not saying this to be me. I'm not here to be your best friend. And I need friends. 
I need friends. I'm not here to be your coffee buddy. And I need somebody to have coffee. I am here to teach you the Bible and learn to live for Christ. Because that's what I need most. And I know that's what you need most. We are in a battle. I want to fellowship and get recharged to get out to the battle. I'm your friend. You're my friend. But this world's our enemy. We've got a job to do. We have a savior to serve. We have families to raise. We have kids to keep on the straight and narrow. Don't raise them being deceived. Somehow this world loves them. It's going to provide for their every need. How's that been working out for the last 50 years? It hasn't been going good. It hasn't. People are lethargic. They're so drowsy they can't be awakened. My job is to grab you by the shirt tails and shake you up. And I know people don't like that. I know it. I don't like it, knowing that people don't like it. But I have got to grab you by the shirt tails and shake you up a bit. And you know what you need to do for me? The same thing. You know what you need to do for each other? The same thing. We don't need spiritually asleep Christians. I'm just going to pray for world peace. Please stop. God didn't promise. That the world cast out Christ. They're going to cast out you. But he said, and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Romans 8. Anything that happens to you happens. He will in no wise cast you out, cast me out. It's not going to happen. Talk with a brother earlier. I said this before. I really wish Christians would stop demanding rights that they never use and will never use. Well, we have a, we don't want our, we want to vote this way because. The other way, we'll lose our freedom of speech. We'll lose our First Amendment right. We'll lose our Second Amendment right. We'll you don't use them anyway. You know, if you used your rights and you stood up for your rights, it might kind of might go a little different. But again, we get lethargic. We get lethargic. Isaiah 53. I think it's a good spot to go because... It's so rich in truth of what we're talking about. Isaiah 53, look at this. Verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned to everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you know you deserved to die like a sheep? I deserve to die like a sheep. And everybody that you witness to deserves to die like a sheep. That's what you deserve. But the Bible says he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. You better get yourself a new name badge that says, I am Christ. 
a sheep counted for the slaughter. And just like Christ, he was slaughtered for your sin as a pure, spotless Lamb of God. He didn't say a word. And if there's any help that I need this morning, and if there's any help that you need this morning, you are Christ's. When they count you as asleep for slaughter, follow Christ's example. Button it up and eat and take it. Because that's what Christ did on the cross. You know what he's telling you? You know what he's telling me? Expect it and be quiet. Hush your mouth. Don't hush your mouth for the name of Christ. But when you lift up the name of Christ, expect it to be counted asleep as a sheep for slaughter. And then zip it. Now you tell me that's not. Tell me, that's hard to do. That is hard to do. Truth to preach on. Truth hard to live. But we didn't die like sheep. We were given eternal life. John 10. John 10. Stay with me, please. John 10. John 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Eternal security. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. How many of you have gone on that verse for eternal security? We all have, right? How many of you have thought about this? Jesus said this before his resurrection. You're eternally secure when you believe on the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. But he didn't die yet. He wasn't buried yet. He certainly hasn't rose again yet. He certainly wasn't at the right, he's not at the right hand of the Father. He's on earth telling them. It's, he, Jesus said this before his resurrection. It's double, triple, quadruple true after his resurrection, folks. You can't. Lose your salvation. Nobody's separating you or I from the love of Christ. It's not going to happen. Now watch this next verse. This is the verse. That American Christians don't like. Because we read it with American comfort. With an American flag Bible cover. With American money. And an American mind. American Christians don't like this next verse. Here it is. Right after Jesus says that, watch what happens. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. You think somebody's not going to pick up a stone and try to stone you? You think you give them the truth of Jesus Christ and the eternal life he has to offer? You think this world isn't going to try to stone you? Oh, it might not be a physical stone. 
It might be a lawsuit. It might be a persecution. I mean, hey, let's get this guy out of here. Let's leave. It's going to happen when you name the name of Christ. Somebody's going to pick up a stone and try to stone you. That is not going to separate you from the love of Christ. Because when they try to stone you, guess where you're going to stay? Right in his hand. When the tribulation and distress comes and you lose your physical and mental health, which is, guess where you're not going to lose? Your security. Nobody's taking you out of his hand. Persecution and famine come. Food's going to dry up. You're not coming out of his hand. Nakedness, peril, sword, all that may come. You may lose your life for the cause of Christ. You will not lose your eternal life. Nobody's taking you out of his hand. Not going to happen. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. That's what Romans 8.37 says. The question is, who shall separate us? And all of these extremes are brought up. And the question is, and the answer is always this verse. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. I'm telling you, there's no reason to be inactive. There's no reason to be dull. Stay in the fight. Because none of the stuff that comes to you and I will cause us to be plucked out of the Father's hand. You don't name Christ. You don't witness for Christ. You don't live for Christ. Chances are you'll have an easier life. Physically, physically speaking. Mentally speaking. You can settle in to the comfort chair, as they call it. Romans chapter 8, let's go back there so you can have your eyeballs on it. It brings out the fact it's not enough to be a conqueror. Nay, in all these things, this is not a grammatical error as suggested by the New Living Translation of the New American Standard Bible. There is no grammatical error here. It's a truth that's being brought out that says we are more than, those words should be there, we are more than conquerors. It's bringing out just how supreme your victory is and my victory is. We are unconquerable. Look, in life, you may be the, in, in life, you're the victor today, you're the victim tomorrow. <laughs> That's how it goes. A situation just blows up in a family. The next thing you know, they go from victor or the victim. We see that all the time. That is not the case in Romans 8. You are kept by the power of God. No man will pluck you out of the Father's hand. It's not going to happen. <clears throat> Watch this truth in Romans 8, verse 37. Watch this. Watch this. We'll try to finish with this thought. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. And here's the beautiful part. Not through us, through him that what? Love, love, love. I'm telling you, that's a past tense love. That's where the emphasis is. Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying don't say God is love. He is right now, currently, always will be in the present. But I'm telling you, there's some truth here that's looking to the past tense love. It says... Through him that loved us. 
It's a past tense. The Bible says God so loved the world. That be everybody, all sinners. That's past tense. The Bible says for his great love wherewith he loved us. That past tense love is a great love. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. What did Christ do for you on the cross? Life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who did what? Loved me. That's a past tense love. And gave himself for me. He loved me and he gave himself for me. Ladies and gentlemen, the love I'm talking to you about this morning is a personal love. Your spouse can't love you like Jesus. I can't love you like Jesus. Your friends can't love you like Jesus. Your church family can't love you like Jesus. Only Jesus can love you personally and intimately. He loved you. That past tense love, you better get on your mind your past tense sin. Look, don't start running the tally. But look, it's a past tense. He loved. Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savior. That past tense love was a sacrificial love. It was acceptable to God. That smell was the savor of satisfaction to the father. We have an offering box where you and in churches and Baptist churches, especially you can take up a love offering. Is there a need for someone? We've done it before. We're going to take up a love offering. You know, preacher flies into town. He might pass the plate around a few times. He needs a little more love. <laughs> That's nothing. It's nothing. I want to give to God. I want to give to God's work. I want to present my body a living sacrifice. I know you do too. But I'm telling you, his past tense love was the greatest love offering ever given and that ever will be given. praise god that he loves our lord jesus christ himself and god even our father which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation that past tense love gives you some consolation that will never cease as christ also loved the church and gave himself for it i'm telling you the past tense loved is a giving love he gave himself. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. His love's ascending love. God sent his son. We want to be sent out by him into this world so we can bring in the sheaves. We want to rescue the perishing. We want people to experience the sending love. But if we don't go, how are they going to know? Well, somebody else will do it. That's not what Christ said. We're it. You're it. Finally, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins and his own blood. The last point I want to make this morning is this. 
His past tense love is a washing love. Washed away your sins. You're pure and you're clean. And nothing will separate you from Christ's love. Nothing. The devil hates the past tense love. And he hates the gospel. Be careful of only saying God loves you at the expense of not recognizing or in additionally saying God loves. That cross is past tense. It can bring you into the present tense, love of God. You lose sight of the past tense cross. You're going to lose sight of your past tense sinnership. And that past tense cross reminding you of that past tense sinnership will bring you into the present tense love and into the present tense sonship, which is where we want to be. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.